Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. The gospel is a message we believe in that results in immortality. If I were the devil, I would target the gospel message so that even if some Christians rustled up the courage to actually share it with others, they'd have a distorted or partial message. In fact, Scripture tells us that the God of this world blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. We cannot just go along with the flow of evangelical or Catholic Christianity. We need to examine the Scriptures to see what the original gospel actually was. When we do this, we discover a radically different message from what we hear on radio, TV, and in most churches today. We heard about this a little bit last time with Jacob Rohr. In this message, I make the case for a gospel with a minimum of three elements, the kingdom, the cross, and the resurrection. Take away or alter one of these, and you no longer have the whole message. Here now is Podcast 70, Getting the Gospel Right. I want to talk about getting the gospel right and uh, talk a little bit about how uh, evangelism is is commonly carried out and show you some examples of that as well and compare that with what we find in the scriptures and sort of continue on what we learned last week about the power of the gospel and the importance of speaking the whole gospel. I think most of us are familiar with uh, some of the ingredients, but some of the other elements are are often missing. So let's go to Amos chapter 9, and I have a question for you, which is, is Amos 9, 11 through 15, does this seem strange to you? Okay, so we're going to read it, and then you you just kind of answer that to yourself. Does it seem strange, or does it seem, you know, something like the Bible would normally say? All right, Amos 9, 11, In that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David and wall up its branches. I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. When the mountains will drip sweet sweet wine, and all the hills will be dissolved. Verse 14. Also I will restore the captivity of my people Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine, and make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them on their land, and they will not again be rooted out from their land which I have given them, says the Lord God. So there there are a few pieces of information here that might seem strange. One is, who is this David? And if if you've spent much time with the Bible, you'd know that there is the the great King David who ruled over all of Israel, and he's the prototype of all good kings that would ever come after him. And so if you're a good king, you will be compared to David. You say, oh, he's like his father, David. And so this is a promise in verse 11 that One day, God is going to raise up that fallen booth. There is not a Davidic king in Israel today. If you go to Jerusalem, there's not a king at all. And he's 
probably more than likely not a descendant of David. But that fallen booth, that, that situation is going to come back, is what this says, in the last days, in that day. And it also talks about taking possession of these other nations. And you notice how like Israel-centered this prophecy is, right? Um, I remember that when, when I used to believe in going to heaven, that I found these Old Testament prophecies to be so irrelevant to my life. <laughs> I was like, who cares what's going to happen to Israel? I mean, maybe it's kind of interesting, but seriously, who cares? But when I, when I read verses and I started to discover that I was, I was grafted into that olive tree of faith and that these promises made to Israel because of what Christ has done are now extended to us, like in Galatians 3.29 where it, it talks about how we are, if we are Abraham's seed, then we are heirs according to the promise. And, and these are the promises right here. Here are the promises. We're reading them. And so when I started to learn that this is not some prophecy for someone else, but it actually applies to me too because I've been, I've been given entry into the, these promises, that got me a little excited. I guess we're all a little self-centered probably to, to some degree. <laughs> it doesn't apply to me. I'm not interested. Well, it does apply to us. This is the only game in town. It's not like there are some people that are going to go somewhere else and then the Israelites are going to do this thing. We're all going to be doing this thing. And in verse 13, it's just so, it's just so beautiful, right? The plowman will overtake the reaper. We were looking at this in fellowship, and the plowman is, is what, you, that's the, what you do before you plant the seeds. You plow it, and then you plant the seeds. And the reaper is the, the person who gathers the harvest, right? Who picks the fruit or uh, cuts the grain. And so it was very difficult for us to imagine a reason why the person who's harvesting is like hurrying up because the person who's plowing is right behind them, right? Until we realized if a uh, a harvest season lasted so long that now it was time to plant again and we're still picking what grew. It's, it's a picture of abundance. And then the next statement is, the treader of grapes is going to uh, overtake him who sows the seed. He's still picking the grapes and treading the grapes. And then the mountains will drip Sweet wine, that's talking about the, the produce of the, the grapes and all this. Uh, and the, all the hills will be dissolved. I will restore the captivity. Verse 15, I will also plant them on their land. And so this, this is not a, an unusual, okay, so Amos is a bit obscure, but this is not an unusual prophecy. I could show you one of these in Hosea right next door, or we could go to the big boys. We could go to Isaiah. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and show you lots of prophecies that are just like this, that talk about a time when God fixes things, when He makes everything wrong with the world right, and then some. And so we have abundance. And so, I don't know, I get excited about the kingdom message, and, and we're going to look at this a little bit more. But uh, I, I, I see these two major problems that we have when it relates to the subject of the gospel. One is, I think a lot of us fail to, to, to pull the trigger. You know, we chicken out, or we say it applies to somebody else, or we say, well, you know, back in the old days I did my share of preaching, and now, you know, let's leave it to the young guys. Or uh, maybe we say, I just, I'm not qualified, or whatever our, our reasoning is. And so for some reason or another, we, we kind of let ourselves get tricked out of it. But did you hear that today? There are some people that are still speaking it in this very room. Did you hear that today? That was pretty cool, huh? 
And you, and you know, some little thing like that, it opens a door, right? Ben's got to go back to work, right? Now, he's the, he's the faith man. He's the prayer guy, you know? He's going to start getting a little reputation there. New title, right? No, no, no promotion with it, but he got a new title, right? <laughs> you know? And uh, we, we did a... Uh, we, I wanted to share this. I almost raised my hand and said, I got one too. But I uh, figured I already have this time, so you know, I didn't want to hog it. But we had this, this incredible outreach on Friday to uh, St. Rose College. A bunch of, uh, uh, or not a bunch of, but a few of us went out to St. Rose College and we worked a table there. And uh, uh, Jared was there and Amy Seitzma and uh, Leah and uh, Priscilla came and Monty and Grace. And and all these, and we, we just sat at a table, okay, and we had uh, a life-size, not life-size, oversized Jenga set. Anybody knows what Jenga is? Ever heard of that? It's like blocks, you pull them out, make a tower. So we, we had a th- this thing out of two-by-fours, absolutely ridiculous. Made a huge noise every time it fell, which attracted more people. And we had, like, crowds of people coming up to our table. We gave them iced coffee, we played Jenga, we got their contact info, and we're going to invite them to our next spire, which is this Friday. Uh, which is our young adult uh, ministry in downtown Albany. And so, the, I mean, stuff is happening here. We got a hundred names and numbers. A hundred. You know, I mean, I'm not saying they're all coming, but we got them. So we can invite them, and, and they, they have some exposure to us, you know. A few of them said they're definitely coming, you know. And so, so stuff is happening. And, and, and so this is an exciting time. You know, we've had the RFR. It, the message was on the power of the gospel, right? Remember that? yellow dynamite graphic, right? And there, there, <laughs> there is power in the gospel. And you know what? We're not, we're not letting it go. We're not letting it go. We, we have plans to, to really reach out this fall because what people are saying is that when, when the kids go back to school and everybody they're, they're in the fall and the, the, uh, the cool weather starts to come in, people get this mentality of like, you know, wanted to start something, they're starting new routines, you know, they're, they're, you just have this mentality, even if you're in college, if you're out of college, if you have kids, you don't have kids, you just have this sense of like something new is happening, right? And so we want to capitalize on that, and we're going to have a, a series that we've been talking about called Better Living, and our goal here is to bring non-Christians to living hope. I don't know if that sounds crazy to you, but our goal is to bring non-Christians. Now, if some Christians come too, that's okay. That's okay. We like Christians. I'm being sarcastic. Of course we want Christians too. But our, our, our true intention is to reach out to non-Christians. And I, I just wanted to take a quick poll. Does anybody have any non-Christians that they know in their social world? Any non-Christians at all? Okay, so there's some of you that know some non-Christians, whether they're friends, family members, co-workers, classmates, the guy down the road, the neighbor, whatever. And so what we want to do is get some postcards together and uh, have a nice uh, graphic on there about this Better Living series. You'll hear more about that. And we want to empower you to go out and invite. And then we, we are going to preach the gospel. And it's going to happen on October 6th, which is coming up in a few weeks here. I'm just letting you know as we, as we work towards it. Uh, and and let's, let's see if we can't fill this place with a whole bunch of people to hear the gospel for the first time. Wouldn't that be exciting? I think that would just be so. And this is, this is what I call team evangelism, right? Not just individual evangelism, but team evangelism, working together. And so uh, let's go to Galatians chapter 1. 
My, my main subject for today is looking at what the gospel message really is. And the gospel message is something that is incredibly important. You know, most, most teachings, most doctrines in Christianity, they're really not worth fighting about. They're really not. You know, there, there are core ones that are worth dying for. And then there's a whole bunch of other ones. Like, you know, if you think this little thing over here is really this way, and I think it's really this way, it's not a really big deal. The gospel's not like that. The gospel is the center, it's the very middle of the bullseye. And I, I say that because the Apostle Paul talks like this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. And he, his reaction is, to me, very shocking. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. I'm in Galatians 1.6. He says to the people, he's amazed that they are so quickly deserting him for a different gospel. Verse 7, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So this is a problem that was happening in the very first generation of Christianity. People were distorting the gospel. You know what distorting is? It's where you take something and you change its shape so it doesn't look that way anymore. You change it. We're not allowed to change the gospel. We could change our clothes, but we can't change the gospel. That could be a bumper sticker, huh? Uh, distort the gospel of Christ. Verse 8, but even if we, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Whoa! He said, even if an angel came and said, oh no, the gospel is really this other thing over here. Not only that, he says, even if I come and I preach to you a different gospel, he's putting himself under a curse. That person should be accursed if they preach anything other than they already heard. Verse 9, in case you didn't get the point. Wait, it doesn't actually say that. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. Very, very strong. Very strong. And, and so, when it comes to the gospel, we don't mess with it. We don't mess with it because the gospel is the message people believe in order to become saved. And so it's, it's really the center of what it means to be a Christian. There's another scripture in uh, 2 Timothy. We might as well flip over there because we're kind of close. Just a couple books over to the right. 2 Timothy 1.7. That was kind of a memory verse, you know. God's not given us a spirit of fear, right? Uh, but uh, I want to kind of read what happens after that verse. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, or fear, right? But of power and love and discipline. Verse 8, 2 Timothy 1.8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, His prisoner. This is the Apostle Paul again speaking. But join with me in suffering for the gospel. Isn't that weird? Join with me in suffering for the gospel. So he kind of recognized that preaching the gospel might cause a little suffering. And that's, that, would be, that would be an interesting campaign, you know? Join with me in suffering for the gospel. Who wants to sign up for that? 
But once you realize that it's really the core, it's, it's the pill of immortality, it's the thing that God has given us to tell people that turns everything around. And then it's like, okay, I'll suffer for that. It makes sense. Um, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Verse 9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Verse 10 is my punchline. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He abolished death. Remember, there, there was the abolishment of slavery, right? That means there's no more slavery. Try to abolish death. That means there's no more death. So death is abolished and life and immortality. Immortality means not mortal. It means you don't die anymore. So abolishing death and life and immortality are brought to light through what? The gospel. So the gospel is worth fighting for. The gospel is worth spending the time it takes to figure out what it is. And the funny thing about Jesus is when he goes around preaching the gospel, he doesn't, he, you know, he talks about the kingdom, but he doesn't really go into detail describing what the kingdom was because his people already knew what it was because they had the Old Testament and they read it. And they had, you know, synagogue services and they heard about it, right? And so... Sometimes what we'll do is we'll come just to the New Testament. We'll say, oh, well, Jesus is preaching the gospel about the kingdom. And we'll, try to, we'll kind of make up our own meaning for what the kingdom means. You know, well, the kingdom's the church. Or the kingdom is the same as heaven. Or something like that. Well, those, those are just made up ideas. The kingdom is the thing we read in Amos chapter 9. And we read it in Isaiah 2. And we read it in Jeremiah 23 and Daniel 7. It's, it's, it's throughout the whole Old Testament, this idea that God is going to bring... Uh, make everything wrong with the world right. He's going to fix this place. He's going to heal the people. He's going to heal the planet. He's going to heal the animals. And I don't know what he's going to do with the mosquitoes. But he's going to do something with the mosquitoes because they're part of the problem. Amen? Thank God for fall, huh? So there are really three elements that I want to share with you about the gospel message. The kingdom, the cross, and the resurrection. All right, let's say it together. The kingdom, the cross and the resurrection. These are the three ingredients. If you lose one out, you don't have the full gospel. You've got the two-thirds gospel. And it's up to God what He's going to do with that. I don't know. But we want to have the whole gospel, right? We don't want to have the one-third gospel. We don't want to have one-sixth of the gospel. We want to put the whole power in the message and not leave anything out. And so the kingdom is, is this starting point that we find throughout the book of Matthew. So let's flip over there. Matthew chapter 4. So I just want to show you, show you these three elements really quickly and then take a look at some internet research I did to discover what typical gospel presentations look like and have you identify what's missing or what's wrong. Okay, so I want to kind of train, train you a little bit here to recognize things like that, the way my mom recognizes every time there's a typo in the program. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. What does that say? Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. This is a key verse. It happens actually twice. Matthew has the same verse twice 
It's also in 9.35. We're not going to go there. But it's the same uh, summary statement about what Jesus was all about. Hey, Jesus, what do you do for a living? Well, here we go. He's teaching in their synagogues. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's healing people from diseases and sicknesses, right? So he's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing. And part of that healing is casting out demons, right? And so this is what Jesus did. If you asked him, if, if, you, if you had him write out a resume, you know, preach kingdom, teach in synagogue, heal sick, right? I'd hire him. <laughs> Chapter 5, verse 5. This is our memory verse for today. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. So this is actually a teaching that Jesus gave, not in a synagogue, but on a mountain. So we call it the Sermon on the Mount. And it's filled with all this kingdom language. But this is such a beautiful, quick summary. Blessed are the gentle, they shall inherit heaven. No, no, it doesn't say heaven, does it? It says, blessed are the meek, or blessed are the gentle, they will inherit the earth. Right? And this is taken from Psalm 37, which says over and over, like seven or eight times, that the, the wicked will be cut off, but the righteous will inherit the earth or the land. Right? And this is the uniform message of the Bible, whether Old Testament or New Testament. It's that God is going to fix this place. God is going to fix this place, and He's going to do it through His Son. Chapter 6, verse 9. This is probably one of the most said verses in all the Bible. It's the Lord's Prayer. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We'll just stop it right there. There are two things together here. There's the prayer for the kingdom to come. That indicates to me the kingdom is not here. If you say, may your kingdom come, or I pray that your kingdom will come, you wouldn't also say it's still here. Right? You would say, well, it's something to come. So he's praying for it to come, and when it comes, what's, what's going to happen? God's will is going to be done here as it's already done in heaven. God's will is already done in heaven. There's nobody up there that's like, well, I, I disagree. No. Like, God's will is done in heaven. Right? There, there's, there's, there are no contrarians up there badgering him. You know, he runs the show in heaven. But on earth, is God's will done? Well, in your life it's done, I hope, right? I pray that it's done in your life. In my life, I pray that His will is done, right? But there's a lot of people that aren't even interested in doing God's will. Did you ever notice that? Yeah, they're on TV, right, Moses? And so, God's will is done in little pockets on earth today, and that's what we call the church. God's people, right? But the rest of the world is not in tune with this idea that God is going to fix this place and make it right and on board with doing His will now. And so I think Matthew 6, 9, and 10 is a great place to go. If you're talking to somebody, especially somebody from a Catholic background, or it doesn't have to be a Catholic, somebody from a background who would recognize this prayer, right? And, and you're trying to talk to them about the kingdom, you'd be like, well, you know the Lord's Prayer, Right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a beautiful definition of the kingdom. It's, it's when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is going to happen when Jesus comes back. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I just want to hit the cross and the resurrection with you briefly. 
before we go to the next part. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15 really has a whole bunch of stuff in it. It's got the kingdom in it there too. You know, it was, it was kind of hard to figure out which places to go to because this stuff is, is everywhere. Uh, but I, I figured you didn't want to get like paper cuts and, and, and bruised <laughs> fingertips flipping around too much. So we, we, we found two for the price of one here. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved. Huh. You see that? He says, you, he, I'm going to tell you about the gospel, right? Which you received, you stand in it, and by which you're saved. But then there's that little tiny word right after the word saved. What is that word? If. Whoa. If. You do what? Stand on your hands? No. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So if you want to skip to the very bottom of the notes, that's that word persevered. Okay? So we've got to persevere. It's not just hearing the message. It's not just believing the message. It's not just even living it out. But it's also persevering. Right? And that's this verse here. Uh, if you hold fast. That's another way to say, hold fast. Verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. This is an integral part of the Gospel message. We, we, we're so used to hearing this that maybe it doesn't have as much of an impact. But Christ dying for our sins is the way we get to be in the kingdom. Because if you read the book of Revelation, and there it says... No liar, no cowardly, no sorcerer, and, and so on, is allowed to come in here. Well, I don't know about you, but I've told a lie. One time. <laughs> oh, now I just lied again. That's twice. <laughs> you know, you, you look at the list of sins, you know, and, and you think about it. This is something that Bethany Reese was sharing with me. She said, Let's say you get to keep a sin, right? You get to, God's going to let you into his kingdom, but you get to keep your sin. And Moses is like, well, I, I want to keep, what do you want to keep? You, you, can, you, can, you can be a thief, all right? You're allowed to steal, right? And Jimmy O'Toole is allowed to tell lies, and Sarah Jane's allowed to use foul language, you know, and, uh, you know, somebody else has their favorite sin, they're going to bring it in, right? Before long, you know what we got? The same thing we got right now! We can't, we can't bring in a little thing here and a little... No, it's got to be clean. It's got to be whole. It's got to be healed. It's got to be the way God wanted it in the beginning when he made this place, right? And so the idea is that God is going to only allow pure people in his kingdom. But you can't clean yourself. We can't, you can try to clean yourself, but it's like you're using a dirty rag... To clean yourself, and you're just making more of a mess. You know what I mean? And so what we need is somebody else to clean us, somebody that's clean to clean us, right? And that's what God has done through the cross, that Jesus died for our sins, and that we can now be cleansed by that blood. You wouldn't think of blood as being cleansing, right? But this blood does cleanse. It washes us clean. And so that's part of the good news, right? Part of it is God's going to fix this world and He wants people to be with Him forever in paradise. And then part of the message is that Jesus died for our sins so that we could be there 
with him for in paradise forever, and we could be clean. We could be like God is. And then the third part is resurrection, verse 4, uh, in First uh, Corinthians 15. And he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that's actually a big part of this whole chunk here. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 at one time, most of whom remain until now. And so on. And he appeared and he appeared and he, he appeared. So appearance of Jesus after he died, in other words, his resurrection is a key part of the gospel message. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll see that in the, the times when they're preaching the gospel message, this is always the thing they're most excited about. It's like they'll talk about, they'll talk about how Jesus was crucified, but then there'll be two words, but God. But God, right? And so they'll be like, you know, they, they crucified him and put him to death, supposing he was a criminal. But God raised him from the dead. And, you, and the, that you can see they're almost like waiting to get to that but God part each time they're preaching it. And so why does it matter that Jesus was raised from the dead? Well, I think it matters for a lot of reasons. But the big point that's brought out constantly throughout the New Testament is that it proves that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And so the Messiah is the king of the kingdom of God. So he's not just another guy. He's not just a nice person or somebody that lived a, a sinless life. He is, the, he is the top administrator of God's coming government. He is the ruler of the age to come, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it's his resurrection that proves that's true. It's his resurrection that proves that's true. So we've got these three elements, the kingdom, the cross, and the resurrection. And I want to see how... how um, and I'm not doing this to be critical or anything, but I want to see how other uh, gospel presentations do it. Okay? Brad, could we get the next slide? I don't know if you guys can read that. I can't read it either. All right. Here is how you, this is, uh, this is one presentation. It's a, a four, step, four steps. Number one is admit your need. I am a sinner. Number two is be willing to turn from your sins and repent. Number three is believe that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross and rose from the grave. It's all good stuff, right? And number four, pray a prayer like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I ask for forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In your name, amen. What do you think? What's, what's missing? The kingdom, right? The goal, the target, the bullseye. Where, why, why, why? It, this will give you the impression that the whole purpose of Jesus is simply to clean you from your sins. But that's not the whole story, that's part of the story. Why do we need to be cleansed of our sins? So that we can be with Him forever in paradise and actually be paradise as opposed to this place. Let's try the next one, Brad. Whew. All right. Uh, Jojo, could you read that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's in the back row. <laughs> you have heard that God loves you, but is it true and do you believe it? It most definitely is true. In fact, 
He loves us so much that for a time he gave up what was most dearest, most dearest? My mom would not like that. Most dearest to him, his own only son, Jesus. Jesus offered his life as a payment for the punishment that we sinners deserve. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. Jesus died in our place on a cross 2,000 years ago and then defeated death. I like that. Rising to life on the third day. We can escape hell and receive heaven via God's free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. Whew, keeps going on from there. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and so whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. Don't be deceived. Trust in the Savior Jesus and follow him. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. God's free gift to man is eternal life. We have all sinned, lied, stolen, lusted, used God's name as a curse word, etc. So we are all guilty of sin against God. First, admit you are a sinner, then ask God to forgive you, accept and believe that Jesus has, what Jesus has done for you and start following him. Find a good Bible-believing Christian church where you will be encouraged to follow Jesus, then share the good news with others. That's mostly pretty good, huh? What, what's, what's the problem? Yeah, yeah, we've got this mythology language of heaven and hell. Um, and do we have that too? Uh, yeah, maybe we have that too. Rising, no, it just says rising to life on the third day. I think it's kind of vague, right? Okay. So he loved the world that you would not have perish but have eternal life. Yeah, I guess you could see that. Uh, so this is another, this is another major one. Let's, see, let's go check the next one. Maybe it'll be legible. Hey, can we see that? That's a little better, right? Anybody ever see this one before? It's called the Four Spiritual Laws. I'm not picking on like obscure evangelism tracts. These are like the big ones. These are the ones that are all over the Internet and that the ones that people who do evangelism use. And uh, so law number one is that God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. Law two, man is sinful and separated from God, therefore he cannot know and experience God's love and plan for his life. Law three, God's only, or Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. Through him you can know and experience God's love and plan for your life. Law four, we must individually receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then we can know and experience God's love and plan for our lives. I see a couple things missing here. What do you think, Jim? <laughs> uh, this, this, is, uh, this is a really interesting strategy because it, it really focuses in on your life here and now, which, which I think in a lot of ways is a good thing. I think it is a good thing. Uh, but it's doing it at the cost of focusing on the ultimate purpose. Okay, And so it is true that God has a wonderful plan for your life in the sense that, you know, like ultimately he's going to, you know, raise you from the dead and you're going to be with Jesus and the saints forever and you're going to explore the, the creation and everything. Um, but uh, that's not, I don't think, what people, most people are going to think. If most people are going to think it's going to be lots of money, good relationships, you know, a uh, fancy car, I don't know, a good job, you know. They're only thinking about the here and now, right? So that's, that's, that might be a flaw here. I don't know. You guys, you guys have to decide this. Man is sinful. Okay, here's, here's the problem. We don't have the resurrection. And what's that? We don't really have the death. Man is sinful. Uh-oh. 
He's coming back. All right. That, that's the devil right there attacking us. Uh, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. Yeah, what is that? I don't know. So we don't really have the cross. We don't really have the kingdom. And we don't really have the resurrection. But yet, this is one of the number one evangelism strategies that Christians use for decades now called the Four Spiritual Laws. And it's all over the Internet, and it's also all over the tracks and stuff. And so, what is going on here? Let's go to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. What is going on here? You know, sometimes people say to me, you know, Sean, why does it matter? It's a kingdom or it's heaven. You know, who cares? You know, if you're on earth, what does location matter? You know, if you're here, if you're there, who cares, Right? So I, I, I tried to think of four reasons why it matters. Are you ready? Four reasons. The first reason is that it's God's idea. Okay? I didn't come up with the kingdom idea. I didn't write Amos chapter 9 or all these prophets. This is, this is like words from God that came through the prophet, and he said things like, thus says the Lord, dot, 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 right? So these are, this is God's idea. Okay? We're just trying to understand what God's idea is and believe in it. Right? It's God's people. And so, it's God's idea. And I was thinking, you know, how would God feel if we were just like, yeah, I know you really want us to be on the earth, and you want to fix it, and you want to send Jesus here, but we'd rather go to heaven. We'd rather be like angels, you know. It would sort of like be like giving, it would be like me giving my wife an iPhone, which is an expensive thing, and it has a, a monthly reoccurring charge, a stiff, potentially stiff monthly reoccurring charge, Right? And she said, thank you so much. And she uses it as a paperweight. Right? My intention is that she would use it to talk on. And I'll call her on it, and she never answers because she, she just wants to use it as a paperweight. She doesn't want to use it as a phone. Here I am paying the bill every month, and she's using it as a paperweight. How would that make me feel? You know, God's idea is that you would get on board and that you would be wooed by his dream for the world. And, 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 if, and if our dream is like, well, we don't really want, we don't, we rather do this other thing. I don't know. I don't know if God's sensitive about that or not. But like, it's his idea, so we should care, right? The second thing is, it was Jesus' primary focus. It would be like being friends with Obama and not realizing he's the president of the United States. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. It's what he f talked about. It's, it's, how, it's how he lived. I mean, you can't understand anything about Jesus, not really, unless you understand what his main focus was. He is about to rule the world, and he's telling people, he's announcing this, and he's enacting it. He's, he's living it out to give people a taste. That's how we understand his healings. It's how we understand his uh, ca casting out the demons. It's how we understand what he taught about, why he even gathered 12. Why not 11 disciples, Jesus? He's regathering a new Israel around himself, and he's, he's establishing this, this whole idea in people's minds so that they get on board with it, and when he comes back, he, he brings about the kingdom. And so, it's actually what Christ means, is king of the kingdom, right? It's not just a last name or something, you know, it's a title, it's, it's President Jesus, right? He's the king of the kingdom. And then the third thing why it matters about the kingdom aspect is that it's gospel. It's gospel. Jesus preached the kingdom as gospel. And so if it's gospel, that means that it's not just our hope. It's not just something we look forward to, but it's also something 
we are called to speak to others. And isn't it a message that is, is, is perfect for our age? When there's chaos and there's, you know, the, who knows what the economy is doing, you know, swinging up, swinging down, you know, Syria's in, in a mess, you know, the Middle East never seems to get any better, and, you know, gas prices and everything else that, that's going on in our crazy world, right? Not to mention the things that are going on in your life right now. What do we need? We need an anchor. We need something that, that gathers our hope together and focuses, focuses it. You know, being with God forever on a fixed-up earth with Jesus, never having to worry about sickness or death again, you know, that is something that gets me excited. That's something that's worth telling other people about. And the thing about the kingdom is everyone's allowed to come. It's not just like if you're this way or that way or young or old or tall or short or whatever. Everyone's allowed to come. So that's pretty exciting. And so anyhow, I was thinking about, oh, and the, the fourth thing was, if you have an evacuation mentality, you're going to be a bad steward. You're going to be a bad steward. Uh, if you think you're going to get beamed up, Scotty, right, then you're probably not going to take care of the place, right? And, and if you look in Genesis, humans were given the stewardship of the earth. And if we trash the place, and then Jesus comes back, and he's like, you know, I think people from the, the the 21st century, I think they're the ones that should be on cleanup duty for the thousand years. Because it's all their diapers. No, just... Oh, boy. But we, we should be good stewards. When you take care of your house, right? I mean, it makes sense. Creation care. And I think that makes sense in light of the kingdom. But now let's get to the, the, the juicy part here. Second Corinthians 4.4. 4. What is going on? Why, don't, why, why isn't this message well known? Why is it that there's so much confusion and so much just distortion of the gospel from the first century right up to today? Why do we have this, this going on? 2 Corinthians 4, 3 says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Messiah, who is the image of God. There is a, an evil force out there that does not want us to speak, and if we do speak, wants us to speak a distortion. Wants us to speak a message that's only partly powerful. Right? And that's what's going on. That's what's going on. It says it right here. The God of this age is blinding people so that they will not have their eyes opened by the message. It says in the sower and the seed, the parable that Jesus told, it says that the birds that uh, just gobbled up the seed that was uh, spread, they, they're the, they represent Satan who snatches the message out of people's hearts before they can understand it. You don't even get to understand it. He's right there to snatch it out. So that they will not believe and be saved, Luke 8.12 says. If you don't believe the message, how are you going to be saved? Right? This is the way that God has, has provided for us to do this. And so... What we want to do is we want to stand against the flow. We want to stand against the tide of what's going on around us, and we want to stay true to this original message. Thank God we have this. Because it's not like I have, to, I have to turn you to another book to tell you about the kingdom. 
You know, we, we could flip all over this book and find stuff about it. Or about the cross, right? Or about the resurrection of Christ. I mean, it's right here. It's in our hands. We don't have to ascend to a mountain or, or sink down to the bottom of an ocean to find it. It's right here, you know? And so, but Satan's attacking it. Satan is attacking it. You know? And I, I realize that in our, in our postmodern age, you know, the, the whole idea of truth is, is, is really unpopular. But people, people believe in truth. They really do. Like, even if, even if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, Sean, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. Okay. But you really do believe in truth. Everybody does. When it comes to the doctor, yep. <laughs> you know, it's not his opinion you want. What you want is the truth. Am I going to be, am I sick of this? Do you have treatment or do you not know what you're talking about? Because if so, I want a different doctor, right? And you know what happens if a doctor gets it wrong? It's called malpractice. That's big, right? Yeah. When it comes to payroll, what if, what if we just like get it almost right? Is that okay? Right, Bill? Bill's a, an accountant over there. You know, what if, what if we just get it in the ballpark, you know, with your paycheck? Just, like, move a decimal point or change a five to a four. Who cares, right? Truth is relative. That's your truth. This is my truth. When it comes to the paycheck, it needs to be down to the penny, right? It needs to be down to the penny. When it comes to the doctor, he needs to get it right the first time or else we're going we're gonna to raise all kinds of trouble for that guy. Yeah, if we make it, right? <laughs> what about water treatment plants? You know, can they be like kind of right and you know just try try to get most of the poisons out of the water before they pump it into our sinks? You know, no, they need to get it right, right? Or what about even the cable company? What if they just raise your bill a little bit and take away a couple of channels? It's no big deal, right? Even the cable company, we would roast them and we get them on the phone and be like, I'm paying two hundred dollars a month for this. We go nuts on them. But the gospel is primo. The gospel is the core. The gospel is the message God has given us to speak to people about the kingdom, the cross, and the resurrection. It's absolutely beautiful. It's cohesive. And it changes lives because God empowers it. God is the one that lights the fuse when it goes into someone's heart. And through the Holy Spirit, it convicts them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And life change happens. Right now... But it doesn't end now. It goes on forever, the life change. And so I just want to end with this, this last three points at the bottom here is just knowing about the kingdom and the beauty of it, just knowing Jesus died for your sins, just knowing that God raised him from the dead, proving that he is the king, the Messiah. That's not enough. It's really not. Satan knows that. And he shudders. <laughs> What matters is that you believe it and that you make a decision to follow Jesus, to follow the King, to say what He says is what I'm willing to do. Not, not so that I can earn my way into the kingdom, not so that I can earn eternal life, but because I've already made a decision that I want this for my life. I want this for my family. And so what am I going to follow Satan now? No, it doesn't make any sense. We follow Jesus, right? And the last thing is persevere. I don't care. I know this maybe sounds strange, but I don't care if you followed Christ and you did the right thing for 25 years. What are you doing today? 
We've got to persevere. We've got to persevere. So I appeal to you. If you've never heard this message before and it sounds strange to you, check it out. Right? Check it out. And, and if, if, if you're ready to believe, why not make this decision today? Why not commit today and say, look, God, I'm done with doing it my way. I want to do it your way. I want to be there when Jesus comes back. I want it to be a day of rejoicing, not a day of mourning. I want to, I want to participate in your dream for the world when you heal it and when you heal us. You know? and, and maybe you've made this decision in the past and you've wondered. Why not make a, a decision today to recommit? Why not make a decision today to say, you know what, I've, allow, I've slacked. I've allowed things into my life that are, that are defiled, that are corrupting me, that are taking me away from, from God. Why not make a decision today to say, look, that ends today. I, I'm ready to make a change. I want to get back on board. So let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would fill our hearts with faith. God, we so want to be with you. I pray for the hearts in this room that are looking to commit, that are looking to make a change. God, I ask that as they pray, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, fill them with your joy, that you would forgive sin, Help us to be better for you, dear God. Help us to turn away from whatever things are blocking us from seeing you. And I rebuke the devil. I rebuke Satan and his attempt to pull veils over our eyes, to confuse us, to distort the message. Just give us your pure message, Father. Help it to sink into our hearts so that we can believe and that you can fill us with life. And that you can heal us in the here and now in anticipation of that wonderful day when your son comes back. I pray for this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to that. I just had a couple of comments I wanted to read out before closing up for this episode. On Podcast 69, Teen Comes Out as Christian to Gay Parents, Miranda writes, This was very helpful information. Thank you. We come across this subject more and more as we speak to people. Yes, of course it is a sin, the Bible says, but as it was brought out, it is not just a question of quoting Leviticus, Corinthians, Romans. There is more to it than that. Therefore, in order to show love to our fellow man and help people to come to Christ, we must prepare seriously how to achieve this in our everyday ministry. If we are going to help people, then we need to listen to them. 1 Timothy 4.16 Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Thanks, Miranda, for that comment. I think this is indeed a very important subject. We're going to have some testimonies about people who struggle with same-sex attraction on the podcast in the future. I'm seeking permission for those, and I'm hoping to do some of my own interviews with folks who are in this category and really put out a an alternative narrative to what we're hearing over and over today that it is possible to be a Christian and loving and still not compromise on what the Bible says. So stay tuned for that. Also we got a comment on podcast sixty eight, Soli Deo Gloria, which is the sermon I posted about New Year's and 
living to the glory of God. Paul Peterson writes, well said. Thank you for this timely reminder and encouragement, Sean. John Piper's book, Desiring God and His Provocative and Sometimes Misunderstood Concept of Christian Hedonism, are means that God has used to awaken me to the delights of His glory. There is a lot of truth packed into the phrase, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And that satisfaction expresses itself as we enjoy Him, savor Him, treasure Him, cherish Him, hope in Him, love Him, lean on Him, trust Him, and worship Him forever. Thanks, Paul, for that comment. Indeed, living for the glory of God is what our lives should be all about, whether we're at our jobs or hanging out with our friends or our families, that everything we do would be done with an eye to how it can glorify God and how it can be done in a way that honors Him. So, Thanks for that, and if you would like to add your voice to the mix, just go to restitutio.org and find the podcast episode for today, which is Podcast 70, Getting the Gospel Right, and add your comment there. If you would like to get this next get the next episode automatically, please subscribe. I have instructions for how to do that on restitutio.org. If you have an iPhone, it's super easy. Just find the podcast app. It's probably already installed on your phone because it comes as a default and then just search for restitutio or for my name if you have an android phone get yourself a nice podcast app like podcast addict that's what i use and then you can search for restitutio and then your phone will download it automatically you can listen to it in the car you can listen to it while you're ironing your clothes while you're doing laundry while you're out on a run or exercising and in this way, you can keep up to date with new episodes as they're released twice a week. So stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on Sunday where I interview Jerry Weirwell about conflict. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.